0: This is episode nine of The Upgraded Life. And in this show, I interview Andrew Chris with the Life Empowerment Organization. Now, this conversation that I have with Chris is going to focus in on the three types of relationships that Chris believes are critical for people to really have true life satisfaction. And as always at the end, he's going to give us a awesome mindset upgrade tip that you're not going to want to miss. It's actually a challenge. And I jumped in and I did the challenge right there with Chris. So get ready for a great show with Andrew Chris in the Life Empowerment Organization. Thanks for tuning in to the Upgraded Life Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Sotello. The Upgraded Life is my personal project where I help people realize and reach their potential. I've been a professional helper for 20 years. Here's what I'm convinced of the life that you have right now and the life that you want tomorrow is a product of your personal mindset, mission, and movement. Each episode of the Upgraded Life Podcast is is going to give you something that you can do as soon as the episode is over to upgrade your personal mindset. Your mindset informs your mission, your mission tells you how to move every single day, and together that is the upgraded life. All right. I am here with Andrew. And Andrew, thanks so much for being willing to come on this show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And, you know, if I think for the folks that are tuning in and listening, uh, the reality is, is that we're under a COVID shutdown lockdown. So let's take you know, just a few minutes, few seconds, and talk about kind of what we're experiencing right now in that environment. So, Andrew, remind me again, where, where are you located at? I am in Utah. Utah, okay, so not yeah. that far away. I'm in, I'm in Oregon. So, yeah. what's this COVID experience been like for you thus far?
1: Um, so far, our state's been doing pretty well, I, if, you, if you can put it that way, I guess. Um, we're pretty close to a shelter-in-place order, but we haven't been yet. But I mean, it, it's weird. Grocery stores are empty. <laughs> you know, people are staying in their homes and stuff. But yeah, I, I think, based on what I'm hearing from my friends and stuff, everyone's getting stir crazy, a little overwhelmed, <laughs> and
0: trying to figure out how do we navigate this. So. Yeah, yeah. It's like kind of. I would say the same in in Oregon here. It's been about a, a good month. I would, you know, estimate with about at least two weeks. Oregon's been calling it "stay home, stay healthy," and kind mm-hmm. of all but you know, insisting that you don't go out and go places. So you're still allowed to, you know, go to the hardware store or to grocery stores and whatnot. But there's, uh, I'm an essential worker. So I'm on the road every day. And I kind of look around like, really, like, where where are you really going? (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to the store. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so so, yeah, I just want to recognize that that's the uh, current situation that we are operating under and it's really unique and we'll, we're all praying that it will lift as soon as possible. Uh, but at the same time, it's a, it's a serious thing. So thanks for giving us a little glimpse on what it's like for you over there in Utah. So, so Andrew, your project is called the Life Empowerment Organization. Yes. Tell tell me what that is and what it's all about and why in the world did you start something like that?
1: <laughs> right. Well, so I I am a couple and family therapist and I've done some pretty heavy like trauma work and stuff throughout my career. And I started realizing that I didn't want to just work with trauma, you know, in crisis. I, I felt like there, there was something we could do beforehand and it seemed like a lot of the work I was doing was just reactive. And I wanted to take a proactive approach and help people proactively change their lives. And so I, the interesting thing, I'm not just a, a couple therapist. It was also like a mental health therapy program, you know, kind of thing. So I've worked with individual couples and families. And I realized kind of what happens is the same dynamics tend to play out. Just that, like, so like if it has an individual I have unrealistic expectations for myself. It gets bigger when I move into a relationship with a partner. And maybe I have unrealistic expectations for them too. And then when I have kids, you know, it gets even bigger. And so we I wanted to take this like three-prong approach of these, what I call most important relationships in your life, the relationship with yourself, the relationship with your partner, and then the relationships you'll have with your kids. You know, and not everybody's going to have kids or whatever, and that's fine. We, we can still work with them too, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to be more proactive. And our whole approach is just that it's proactive. How can I change my life? How can I, even when hard stuff is going on, right? We're in hard stuff right now. How can I still grow as a person? How can I still be the best version of myself? How can I still be the best partner? How can I still be the best version of parent for myself? Mm -hmm. And so I kind of moved out of the therapy world and started moving more towards this proactive approach. Mm-hmm.
0: It's kind of hard to bill for proactive work, isn't it?
1: Yes. <laughs> it seems like you need extreme crisis or <laughs> I don't have to deal with diagnoses, which is nice. right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So let's kind of dive into those, the, uh, your three prongs there. So when okay. you talk about, the relationship with yourself, what does that mean for you? And, and that
1: the relationship with self, I I think it's the one we tend to neglect the most. Um, We take care of other people. We take care of our children, our partners, our friends and stuff. To me, the relationship with the self is how do I treat myself? How do I think about myself? And like, you know, what do I believe in about myself? And in terms of this is the mindset podcast, right? Mm -hmm. I think our mindset, which is our approach to life, is connected to that relationship I have with myself. So if my mindset is really negative, I don't think things are going to work out or whatever, I kind of need to look at myself because I'm guessing there's something there that's missing. Maybe I'm not talking to myself well, right? We look at self-talk. Maybe I'm not using my strengths very often. I'm I'm too focused on where maybe I see weakness, you know? And so, so really figuring out how can I treat myself better? How can I see that? Yes, I'm human, right? You know, we, we all have some struggles and challenges, but that it's okay to say, hey, I've got these strengths. I can do this. I have these abilities. And so that, that's where I try to help people with their relationship with their self is just we're really harsh on ourselves and I don't know why, you know, like I don't know why our automatic reaction is just to be really harsh on ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, some of that's how we, maybe how we were raised or experiences and stuff, but I really try to help people flip that, which is what we do in therapy. But again, when we're kind of in crisis or reactive mode, I want to do it proactively. So people that are like, ah, uh, I, I want to go somewhere in life, but I'm not sure where, I want to help those people before we get to a big
0: problem. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I really, I really appreciate that. So um, I want to go back to something else that I heard in what you just described. And you said that the relationship with yourself is often the one that goes overlooked or is neglected. Why do you think that is?
1: You know, I, I think, I almost think it's just, we have these unrealistic expectations or like, I should already be this person. You know and so so maybe maybe when I say neglected I'm I'm talking about like feeding that relationship in a positive way Mm -hmm. we're really good at taking ourselves out of the game (laughs) you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like we really are and I don't know where it is like that cultural acceptance of that I don't know but we really do we're harsh on ourselves we're our biggest critic we're predicting that people are gonna say these things about us or whatever before it even happens Mm -hmm. You know, I think one of the most interesting things is we build that story in our head of how we think it's going to go or where I am weak. And then we find out it wasn't like that, but there was that big Mm buildup. To me, that's all taken away from that relationship with yourself. If I'm, if I'm just talking bad about myself and bagging on myself, you know, it's not going to lift me up and that's going to affect my other relationships in life. You know, I I worked with uh, one guy that he was just overly critical on himself. He was a he had to be perfect, you know, and we started, started working on it because he was struggling at work. He had just gotten dumped and he didn't understand why, you know? And so he started seeing himself differently and realizing because I don't treat myself well, it's coming out in other areas, you know? And so figuring out it's okay to have some self-compassion. We hear about compassion for others. We got to have self-compassion too. It's not selfish. Now, if you're, completely focused on yourself and, you know, neglect everything else. Yeah. That's when we move into the selfish territory. So
0: So yeah, that, that concept of self-compassion, uh, is very much familiar to me. And of course I, um, got it when I was really kind of studying Buddhism and and that's really kind of the, the current Dalai Lama. That's, that's his uh, school of, of Buddhism is the, is the uh, school of self-compassion. And so I've listened to a lot of his teachings and readings around that. And uh, he has a lot to say about that in terms of the role that self-compassion has in you know, our overall life experience. So I, don't, I don't know. Where, where did you come across that concept of self-compassion?
1: Um, I I think a lot of it had to do with the trauma work I was doing. I just noticed, you know, the, the negativity they were having towards themselves, you know, which I mean, understandably some of the trauma I was working with is more extensive than anything I thought was possible, Mm -hmm. you know, with young children and stuff. And, and so I I just went to the literature and I I saw like this one journal article on self-compassion and I was like, I really really like that idea. And so I kind of delved into it and it, it did have like some Buddhists in it and kind of mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And so my journey was a little different. It was maybe a little more academic <laughs> searching, but, but, you know, I, I think it's an incredibly powerful tool and I don't think it gets enough attention.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and, um, so that's the, that's the relationship with yourself. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, how do you how do you help somebody flip their their negative self talk what does that look like for you
1: yeah and so that's kind of the the hard part right is <laughs> the relationship with self is i see like the self talk and the beliefs you have about yourself is kind of symptoms of that but it's also how you can feed it and so what i try to do is really get people to see how, what, what are they automatically saying to themselves? You know? So maybe you have a, a challenge coming up. Right? I, I've worked with a fair amount of students. So tests, right. That, that's that's the like simplest example coming to my head. Mm-hmm. The student that's thinking right away, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. I'm mm-hmm. stupid. I can't do this. I'm going to fail. They're probably going to fail mm-hmm. because they're going to create it. Mm-hmm. And so I really try to help people lock into what they're saying to themselves not only just what they're saying, but how it's making them feel about themselves. You know, I I really try to attach the thought and the feeling together. I think it's really easy. Like in therapy, there's certain models that kind of separate the two a little little bit. I try to weave them together a little more because I think if you can feel the negativity, the the power of it, you're, you're going to be more likely to want to change it. You know, it, it's like if you if you're like, okay, I just want to start a fitness goal. Here I go. I've you know, I'm excited, I just got a gym membership. Maybe you're a little overweight or haven't worked out much, you know, and then you walk into the gym and you just see this huge person, right? They're just cut, they're incredibly athletic. And the first thing you say to yourself is, I'll never be that. I don't look like that. What are the chances you're gonna go in and one, have a good workout, or two, you're gonna go back? Sure. You know, just right there because of how you just treated yourself. Yeah.
0: Or you may try to or overcompensate and hurt yourself.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? And that's when you get those interesting videos on social media. Right. Right? Absolutely. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. And it also reminded me, I think it's a Henry Ford saying, right? Whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. You're right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just looking at um, the footnotes uh, out of a book. Uh, called the High Performance Habits by Brendan Burchard. And uh, it's a great book. I, I recommend it. I'm taking my uh, leaders at work through through the book right now. Kind of for round two, but anyway, the reason why i am talking about that is in the back he has you know um the end notes to support the claims that he's making throughout the chapters, and I was just running through it, and one of the things in there was he calls it uh, confidence, but I think in in the, in our world it's we call it self efficacy right in, a, mm-hmm. in the clinical world, and he had all of the studies that linked uh, confidence. Slash self-efficacy to all these other disciplines and all these other factors that determine success and positive outcomes, and uh, that that belief, that confidence, that self-efficacy is one of the most important factors that explains more the variability than than most of the other factors. And I thought that was mm-hmm. who I was looking at this morning, and I was just reaffirmed because I have you know very similar ideas around that. So yeah. So where do you think? you know, people get pushed in the in the in the unhelpful direction in terms of, you know, those negative thoughts coming so quickly and so automatically. What's what's your what's your idea of how, how that how people uh develop those patterns?
1: I I think it comes from a few different sources. Um maybe we go back Freud, your family, <laughs> you know <laughs> you know, definitely the the family culture you grew up in. You know, were your parents very encouraging or were they discouraging, you know, things like that. And how your parent treats you when you're young is one of the big ways that you start picturing who am I in this world? Mm-hmm. What's my worth to this world? What's my value? As you start getting older, you start moving into other relationships. You start having partners, you know, or bosses and mentors and things like that and how they treat you. And I think what's what's difficult too is the more you find people, if it's negative, the more you find people that do that, like your brain just does it so fast. It's almost a reflex at that point mm-hmm. and you, and you don't even challenge it. You're just like, well, it must be true. It's a given. It's a, it's, it's, yeah, I, I do an exercise. I call it the balloon exercise because I feel like the, these claims that we have about ourselves, like, Oh, I'm so stupid. I hate that word, but we'll use it because it popped out, <laughs> you know, we believe it. And then you ask the person, so, you know, what is stupid? What does that mean? What evidence do you have for it? And usually what you find out is it's like a balloon it's full of hot air and it takes up a ton of space, (laughs) but there, there's no weight to it. It's like, if you just pop it, it's gone, you know, kind of thing. And, and, but it's because we've gone so long, just reflex after reflex. I never challenge it. I never challenge it, Mm. which is why, you know, if we connect to something, whether it's like a passion to ourselves, you know, like, wow, I really love this and I connect with it. Or we we find a a, a partner that just brings out the best in us. And we're like, wow, I've told them everything about me. And yet here they are still sitting with me. Like that's when naturally, right. It starts kind of, you start kind of looking at things, but I don't know, man. I I just think a lot of it is external and then it just becomes this internal reflex, Mm -hmm. you know? And something about mistakes too, I think that comes up a lot. Like if I've made a mistake, I make it way bigger than it is. And then I never let go of it, mm-hmm. you know? And so like the weight of the past is still there. So it must be true in everything after it, right? Like that must still be there and and it's not. And and again, here we come back to that self-compassion thing, right? The forgiveness and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the work I, I try to help with to get that relationship with self is so we're not doing that as much. I I don't take out accountability. I think accountability is one of the most powerful things you can do for your life. If you don't own your life, the good and the bad, you know, it's not going to work out. You're not going to feel genuine to yourself. You're not going to feel, you know, so.
0: So what is accountability for you then?
1: Accountability I think is one, just recognizing your role in things You know, I I think I work with couples. I I believe you work with couples as well. I don't know about you, but when I work with couples, usually what happens if they're in conflict is there's a lot of finger pointing. (laughs) Like, I'm totally fine. It's them, (laughs) you know, kind of thing. Accountability to me is recognizing that there are forces that are out of my control that I can't. But there are things I'm doing that are influencing the situation or that I need to own up to. Like I can play victim or I can own it. Mm -hmm. You know, I've heard it kind of put, I can be a victim or I can be a a survivor basically, or I've heard some people call it a warrior, you know, like I own the good and the bad. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's what accountability is, is recognizing my thoughts, my decisions, and my actions from those thoughts. Those are mine. Mm -hmm. So if I'm thinking my partner is this, 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 and this, I have to own that because that's my thoughts, you know? Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't control that person. I can influence them. But to me, without that accountability, you're, you're either just walking around blaming or being a victim or you're taking on way too much responsibility, which to me is just as debilitating. If you're going to have the whole world on your shoulders and try to hold it up,
0: like how are you going to do that? Yeah. So. So it's, it seems like we shifted into maybe your second prong there, you know, the relationship with the partner. Uh, yeah <laughs> how else do you describe that relationship with the partner
1: a relationship with the partner like in
0: terms of how uh, how it fits in them in your kind of overall mode of working with a situation or with people like how do, how do you how would you describe that as uh, the second prong? yeah so um like i said
1: our our big thing is relationships so we look at those three critical relationships um I, I think some of the stuff that happens in your own personal development is going to come out in your relationship and that's the good and the bad of course right it all comes along with it so when I work with couples what I really want to work on is the couple strengths I think the individuals each have their own strengths that they bring into the equation and then each couple together like you you've worked with them you see it this just unique story this they just have a flow or they don't you know (laughs) kind of thing And so I like to draw that out and figure out, okay, how can we use this to get you running efficiently? Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of my work is not like, this is what I define the perfect relationship as, Mm because I can't, I I can't define it for people. I really try to use what they want, you know, what their their values, what their hopes, their dreams, their visions are. So I try to just help provide tools to get them where they want it so my i like to use stuff that allows them to flow with their personality
0: and their relationships i don't know can you call it a personality <laughs> you know the, yeah, the vibe I if, yeah i think a relationship takes on its own its own uh personality for sure
1: yeah for sure yeah yeah and so that, that we 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 do a lot with that trying to help bring out again my stuff probably is not geared towards couples that are like are we divorcing or not you know like at that mm-hmm. that, that critical point mine is like hey either let's, let's really work on this and get a strong relationship or like, Hey, there's a couple things I think we need to work on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I'm guilty of talking a lot and talking to a lot of different people. And I taught at the graduate level for several years. And so I'll make kind of these claims that when they leave my mouth, they kind of sound like they're, they're all applicable. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I'm going to, humble myself and check one of these out with you. But all right. Uh, w- one of the things that I used to say, you know, out of, out of a hundred percent of the couples that I have ever worked with that are coming uh, because they're experiencing um, strife in their relationship or, or some kind of problem, some kind of uh, violation. Um, I have never had, I'll, I'll ask a question like this. Okay. So you, uh, you've been married, you know, for eight years. Okay what was your plan for these eight years? You know, where did you want to be? Where did you hope to be? Uh, Where did you expect yourself to be uh, by this time in your marriage? And so I'll ask a question like that to a couple in kind of what my claim has been that I put out there all the time as, as if it's always true is I have not yet, had a couple that came to me with their plan in place to said, "Well, actually, you know, by year seven we were going to do this," and you know, uh, and so I put that back to you. And, and, you know, uh, ha- have you come across a couple that you've worked with that have been in crisis that you know were able to kind of articulate what their what the plan for their relationship was? No, <laughs> I, <laughs> I haven't.
1: I, I, I think what I found is couples that believe they have a plan. But then when you delve into it, what you find out is they have a lot of hopes and aspirations, but never how to get there. Right. You know. And,
0: and sometimes yeah. those are unspoken too, right?
1: Uh-huh. uncommunicated. Un- 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, de- definitely a big thing when I work with parents or parents. <laughs> That's the third problem. We're on, yeah, we're, on <laughs> we're on couples. <laughs> mm-hmm. When I work with couples is getting the unexpressed expectations mm-hmm. or needs making them expressed. Right. Because if I'm holding my partner to this, like they should just be doing this, they should Mm -hmm. just do this. They should just do this. And I'm sitting there building up resentment, 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 Mm -hmm. and they have no idea what I'm doing. That's not fair. (laughs) You know? So I, I I call it in, in relationships, I call it the same team mindset versus the opposite team mindset. Mm So the same team mindset is we're working together. We are a team. Our problems are the opponent. You know, what our challenges are the opponent. We work together. It doesn't mean, you know, it's going to flow perfectly. But we we come up, like you said, with, with a plan. We know what our plan is. We know what we want to do. Whereas the opposite team mindset is that we're now against each other. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem is now just the playing field. Right. You know, it, it it's the arena that it's taken place in. But right now the opponents are actually partner one and partner two. And nobody wins that one. You know, like even if I win an argument, chances are the relationship took a big hit because I probably used insults. I probably pulled out the past,
0: right. you know, stuff like that. Yeah. It's one of those cliche, cliche counseling things that we learn, right? You can, you can choose to be right or you can choose to be in a relationship. Can you hear me? Yep, I can.
1: Okay. <laughs> Sorry. It started flashing funky on me. Yeah. Made me nervous. Yeah. It's what it did last time. But yes, it, it is one of those kind of cliche things we learn in therapy. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting, though, how many partners don't see it that way. You know, they they see that short term, I want to win, I want to get my point across. And they leave out that long-term and that long-term is where that plan comes into place. Like, where do you want to be in eight years? And how are you going to get there? And yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I've, I've never seen a couple actually have the plan. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, and and I I talk, I'm big on, you know, if you want to move this relationship forward, it's about creating shared vision. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's about agreement about how you're going to use resources Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's all these things about like you said uh, the 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 we or the team mindset versus you know we're, we're the adversarials in this right um, so so kind of like another thing I want to check out with you so just like y- you know the messaging that we got when we were children from the people that are you know were taking care of us can influence you know our relationship with ourselves do you find that to also be kind of the same that um, the the parental relationships that we were exposed to as children tend to play out in the relationships that we form with our partners, you know, meaning like this is what I saw modeled for me as um, a couple relationships. So therefore, this is what I bring with me as the, the map, so to speak, into my, mm-hmm. uh, my relationships that I'm forming with my partner. Do, do you see that kind of being similar? absolutely. You know, I,
1: I call it the blueprint. You call it the map. I call it the blueprint, the the family we grew up in definitely gives us our first example of what that kind of relationship looks like. And I, I work with quite a few younger couples, probably more of the millennial and, you know, a lot of their parents divorced mm-hmm. or, you know, and things like that. And so I think what, what I've seen, I don't know about you is this, there's almost belief that the relationship's probably going to fail mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's just a matter of time Have you, i don't know if you've felt that sure like in my therapy work and so that's kind of what i'm i'm trying to prevent too is mm-hmm. like i don't want that to be a belief because it's just like the individual if it's i'm going to make it self-fulfilling mm-hmm. but you know you think about it too if if all they've seen is each parent just fail in relationship after relationship you know what what example are they drawing on for this is gonna work, you know? And so I, I think definitely we we start forming that that blueprint. I think even before a person recognizes that's what they're doing, sure. Their brain is already putting that together. All right. So so then you do get to adulthood and you start having these relationships and you start having these beliefs about how they should be and these expectations, mm-hmm. and then it doesn't happen <laughs> and the whole world falls apart because your blueprint's not there. Right you know, I, I had a, a one couple I worked with and one of the partners basically said, right. Like, if you love each other, this should be easy, Mm. you know? And I was like, well, what, what, what leads you to believe it should be easy? And she's like, well, that's love. You know, like if, if you're in love, it should be easy. Hmm. And her partner was just over there shaking their head, like, Oh God, (laughs) you know, like
0: (laughs) who is this person?
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, so one had kind of a more I'll call it realistic expectation of how relationships worked. And one was a little more grandiose, but they were able to kind of work together to formulate, okay, so what's the expectation for our relationship? You know, what, what does love look like? What would, we changed it from being easy to what would the flow of our relationship look like? You know, like when we're, when we're running on, you know, high efficiency, what will we look like?
0: And then Fine. that that piece that you talked about. Well, before I go into that, let, let me uh, talk about one thing that I found interesting, or just is similar, is, um, you know, when you're when you're bringing together two people to form this new relationship, as well, right? You're also bringing in um, all these varied styles of how to look at uh, challenges or struggles or problems, whatever we want to call it. You're mm-hmm. you're, you're bringing into that relationship your style of how, how do you communicate about it? How do you problem solve? How do you, you know, how, how do you argue about it in a way that <laughs> right. uh, becomes effective or productive? And, you know, oftentimes uh, you know, I would be in front of a couple where um, one of the, the people in, in the couple would came from a pretty intact you know, non-problematic, um, well-resourced. You know, um, you know, no Aces score type dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. And then they 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 find themselves in a relationship with somebody who came from a you know a high Aces score, a, a, you know, adverse of childhood experiences. For people don't know that, right? Um, it, where things were very highly conflictual, and there was, you know more danger associated with um people having disagreements or arguments and then you, you put those two people together in a relationship and oh my goodness they don't they don't know <laughs> right how to even start I mean, have you experienced something like that or what's your take on that
1: absolutely you know you you typically see the the partner that's okay with conflict and talking about disagreements they they start becoming the pursuer Mm -hmm. you know and and the person that uh conflict is aversive they they start withdrawing and 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 i think inside each partner starts making interpretations about the other person right Mm -hmm. you know like well why can't they just talk about this you know this is important and so i i think you really have with couples you really have to get them to identify one, just their communication style in general. Every, every couple has one, you know, and for, for some couples, they, they make the pursue withdrawal work. I, I don't know how, you know, but mm-hmm. some of them do, some of them are able to do it, but realistically, you know, I, I think it's a uh, John Gottman that says, you know, couples are going to have problems that they don't solve. Mm-hmm. It's how they solve them, you know, how they go about trying to, that's going to make the difference. in. And, and that's kind of the approach I try to take with couples is, you know, how is it that you're working together right now? Sometimes with, with a partner, you have to kind of do some of that individual stuff, you know, going back to that relationship with the self. If they're scared of conflict, they have probably avoided some things they needed to address in the past, you know, and stuff. I try to still keep it more, you know, solution and future focus because I think you can get stuck in the past with them. And then Mm -hmm. you're not really, you're really more just reinforcing what they're scared of rather than, you know, working them through it. Right. But I think you can, you know, couples can make that work if they're dedicated to each other and they give it a go, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes you have to like, it's almost like volume dials, like the guy, you know, the partner that's more okay with addressing conflict saying, okay, let's turn it down a little bit. Maybe it's you still want to address the conflict, but how how do you address it? Are you going like straight for it or are you like warming up a little bit? I believe it's a book called crucial conversations and they talk about prime the pump, you know a little bit Let's let's get it. Don't just go straight in for it. Let's let's warm it up a little bit Let's start with a little lighter conversation and move towards it. Right so
0: yeah, you brought up his name. And of course, both of us having the background of in, in you know, couples counseling or however your degree was, was labeled. Um, so yeah, so I remember being deeply convicted by one of Gottman's books where – he basically kind of trashed um, family therapist and couples counselor <laughs> uh, uh, by basically saying, and it was so at least for me it was so true where he was saying we, you know, in couples counseling, we get trained to basically force the partners in the relationship into being uh, the, in the validating style of, of communicating or relating to, to one another that, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of esteem that as the ultimate goal of, of couples counseling and therapy in, his research says that uh, a, you know, number one, that's not necessary. And number two, that if you force a relationship or a couple in in that direction, when it isn't their kind of their, their natural fit, you can end up, you know, doing more damage than when you started off with. And I remember kind of, you know, being a little hacked off about that, but then having to sit down and sift through, kind of my own experience my own training and in my lived experience doing the work and i was like yeah i think he's kind of right you know,
1: <laughs> right, right. Um,
0: and, and what y- y- you know you can have a conflictual style in your relationship with your partner as long as you and i can't remember he has a you know kind of a, a dual phrase for it but i'm going to make it up in terms of Is <laughs> as, if as, you can be a conflictual and affirming right which means Mm -hmm. that you know the for the most part you're affirming one another every once in a while you kind of get into this this gridlock where there really isn't resolution to it but but the the positive aspects in terms of the frequency and the overall experience outweighs those times when that when there is conflict and there's, there's even a volatile style of that that you know um where Maybe things are hunky dory 95% of the time, but then 5% of the time you just have these major, you know, knockdown dragouts. But you're able to kind of overcome it, and again, the, the you know the the positive outweighs the negatives. And so he's kind of he stems that back into the love bank, right? That as long right. as you have more positive deposits in the in the love bank, uh, you can make a lot of different relationship styles work. It's when you don't have that um, a positive balance you know, worked up in your relationship and you, the four horsemen are in play, that's when your relationship is in, in for trouble. So I, I just remember reading that book and kind of, like I said, being convicted and sifting it through my experience and said, yeah, I think, I think he's got something there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I, I think, I think all of us that go through the field and start hearing that from him, especially cause he's he's raised pretty high in our field. <laughs> you know, he's Absolutely, like, yeah. he's like the standard when it comes to couples, nobody's even close to him. You can't and, argue with the man, you know, and like, his
0: wife,
1: too. <laughs> yeah. And his <laughs> wife, you know, but, but it's true, you know, and I know even in my own practice, when I started recognizing, okay, I need to work with the couple style rather than say, Hey, here's like active listening and this Absolutely, is how you need yes. to look while you do it, you know, kind of right. thing. Like I remember uh, one model I was taught like, like the talking stick, like you have them hand (laughs) it back and forth and and I, and I worked, you know, while I was doing an internship and I I did this and I remember one couple, like the guy just threw it on the floor and he's like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) And he walked out of the room, you know, at the end of the session and I sat back and went, you know what? I don't think this would even work for me, (laughs) you know, like, yeah. Like, I, I think there's definitely, you can learn listening principles and stuff. And and there, there's still some things you can do to help the communication be more, more effective. I, I think there are skills you can use with couples and teach them to help make the process go a little smoother for them. Mm-hmm. But if you try to get them to go completely against their, their couple personality and mm-hmm. their individual personalities, you're just going to run off the rails. <laughs> like, right. It's just going to happen. And so that's why I really try when I work with couples to say, you know, I'm, I want you guys maybe more to see conflict, not as this negative or something, but Mm -hmm. see it as a chance for course correction. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's a different direction you want to go, find it, just try to find it together without destroying one another. Like that's the big one. Right. I, I, I think I think it's probably more under, uh, criticism or contempt if you look at the four horsemen, but I always tell couples, like if you start using insults, like you've just gone into territory, you right. can't get out of, right. Like once you call your partner, uh, I w- I'm not going to give examples, but oh, you I'm know, a bitch
0: or you call a <laughs> yeah, that you, or a whore, you, yeah, you know, Yeah. Slob. You know,
1: yeah, <laughs> you know things like that, <laughs> you know, once once you do that, like you can't go back. Right. And so you've taken from the relationship, you've taken from the trust, you've taken from the security. Mm -hmm. And so when I work with couples, I try to help them see, like, try to avoid that stuff. Absolutely. Because it's going to make it harder for you in the long run. Right. But just know, I'm not going to try to make you be this person. Mm -hmm. Because if that's not your style... And like it's not even like in the same book in terms of style, like it's right. not gonna work right. a week later after they leave or stop working with me, it's gonna go right back, absolutely, so
0: Andrew, take us to the third prong then um uh, relationship with children,
1: yeah, so I think right, we've already talked about how we are influenced by our childhood and stuff. Well, mm-hmm. now we're moving into the territory where we're the examples you know, we're, we're the ones modeling this for our kids and stuff. And so our, the third prong I I focus on is, is parenting. I call it empowered parenting and it's a very proactive, positive approach. There's still limits. There's still, you know, consequences for actions, but it's very relationship oriented because I want to teach my kids about healthy relationships through the relationship I have with them, Mm. you know, and things like that. So that's the third prong <laughs> you know we're we're going straight to the ultimate really if you think about it like is there any relationship more unique than a
0: parent child one sure absolutely you know it's so it, empowered parenting so you know what's your method for discipline so i've got a i've got a six-year-old and the six-year-old uses a word that's not allowed in in this house (laughs)
1: that never happens come on now
0: (laughs) what's your method for helping a parent uh um, address that right so my my perspective
1: i found is kind of a little different i tend to work on the parent Mm -hmm. rather than focusing on the kid's behavior not that we won't do some correction Mm -hmm. i mean let me get that out there Mm -hmm. But I really try to work with parents on understanding what are your values, what are your morals, what are going to be, I call them the landmines that are just lying under the ground, you know, mm-hmm. so that if your kid swears and like respectful language is huge to you, like if you know it's there when they do it, you're not going to freak out. Because I think, I think what tends to happen is we wait, react. So
0: wait, wait. Are, are you saying you shouldn't swear at your kids in response to them swearing? <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, it just kind of, takes away from the point. If you just swore and I tell you to shut the hell up, you know, like, I'm just modeling to you, go ahead. You know, that's one of those do as I say, not as I do things and kids are going to do as you do. So, yeah, (laughs) you know, but, but I think really for For parents, we tend, you know, I'm in the same boat. I'm feeling it a ton right now, you know, especially where we're having to be in our homes a little more. We're kind of on top of each other. We're in each other's space a lot more. Like my temper is getting worked up. My emotions are a little more, you know, ramped up than usual just from circumstances and it's all coming. So what I try to do with parents is work on, you know, your own emotion regulation, how to keep yourself level-headed in a situation like that. Because if a kid swears and it's a word you don't like, I can erupt at him, tell him that's inappropriate, that's not what we say here, and I'm saying it in volume 12, you know, or or I can just let him know, hey, you know, that's language we don't use around here. This would maybe be a more appropriate word. If you continue to use it, then we're going to have to have a different discussion, right? I don't make a big deal out of it. The kid's probably not going to make a big deal out of it. I make it a big deal. Well, now the kid's got to defend himself. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe the kid didn't even know what the word meant. But now I just put him on the defensive, so they're going to own it, whatever it was. <laughs> you know, now they're going to defend it. <laughs> you know, so so when I when I look at parenting, I really try to help the parents get to understand their vision for who they are as a parent and what they want to accomplish. Even when I look at parenting goals, it's not who they want the kid to like grow up and to become. I think parents, sometimes they try to prescribe for their kid what they want their life to be mm-hmm. and that can be really dangerous. You know, I, I think about a, a client I worked with that they, they were in medical school and stuff and they were really struggling and to the point that they were suicidal. And I just mm-hmm. asked like, why are you here? And they're like, well, this is what my parents wanted for me. Right. I was like, well, what do you want to do? And he, you know, and they were like, I want to teach. Uh, yeah. Like, like if I could, you know, like we did the, like, if it were a perfect world and nobody right. knew, you know, <laughs> made a little safety and they were like, I'd love to teach music at an elementary school.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, but they were so far away from who they were because the parents had this goal for that kid. Right. So when I set goals with parents, it's really on how are you going to be as a parent well, if I want, you know, there's the basics we want. We want our kids to be respectful. We want them to be, you know, hardworking. Okay. So your goal is how are you going to teach them that, you know, rather than I want them to be a doctor, maybe it's just, I want them to be respectful, you know, so what are you going to do? What's the goal for your behavior? And that that's where I tend to focus. And I think sometimes it throws parents off because they they're expecting, I'm going to help them change their kids' behavior. Mm-hmm. But I tell them, we can't change the kid's behavior directly. I can't control that kid and neither can you. But we can influence them by how we behave. Sure. You know, and and so I work a lot on that. And we we still do limits and stuff. Like, it's not permissive. You know, Mm -hmm. I I think sometimes when people hear like positive parenting or like empowered parenting or proactive parenting, they think permissive. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's just instead of dropping a hammer right you know because I think some of us were raised with that there's a quote I don't know who said it and I don't know if they actually but it says like if all you have is a hammer everything becomes a nail
0: mm-hmm.
1: you, you I'm sure you've heard that one
0: <laughs> right that's I mean that comes out of that's Maslow's hammer right and so right yeah yeah
1: you know and so so I work with parents on that you know like right. if everything to you is just this meltdown and I've got to address it heavy-handed, like, one, you're not teaching your kid anything other than to fear you or to be sneakier. Like, that's the funny one, right? Mm-hmm. They're either going to fear you or they're just going to get mm-hmm. sneakier. Whereas the approach I go for is we still have limits, we still enforce them, and we enforce them consistently, but I'm also going to try to teach you how to how to manage yourself and how to handle life, like life skills, mm-hmm. you know, and... I think that's missing a little bit in today's world. I I won't lie. I'll I'll throw that out there. It might be a little controversial for some, but I think there are life skills missing from an upcoming generation in terms of some of this,
0: you know? I mean, you said that you've working with a lot of millennials. So so what are you seeing? Uh, In in terms of the parenting. And the missing life skills. The
1: missing life skills, (laughs) how to regulate themselves, Mm. how to manage, you know, if their temper, one of the big things, i've noticed is if i think i'm right i'm right like i'm not even open to any counter arguments or anything like you're either with me or we're now against each other kind of thing which obviously like in the real world that there's not one right and one wrong answer sure right you know there's variations of all of it some of it can be right and some of it can be you know kind of thing and so i i think there's that Delay of gratification, <laughs> I think is a big one. Mm-hmm. I heard a chuckle on that one. <laughs> yeah, You know, and, and I think when, when you look at parenting, right? So if you've grown up thinking because I want it, I should have it. And now you're a parent and you're raising a kid. And you're like, well, I think you should behave because I want you to. <laughs> and then the kid goes, Mm-mm. <laughs> you know, like, like how, how are you going to manage yourself if you don't know, even know what delay of gratification is or, you know, parenting just because the world sped up with technology and everything doesn't mean parenting did. Right. You know, right. and so I, I think that's a big one for young parents is one, recognizing a lot of the misbehavior they see from their kids is just developmentally normal mm-hmm. or potentially some of how they're approaching the situation as a parent. Yeah. You know i i can't do much about the developmental stuff you know as you know as long as things are going but i can help the parent with their behavior
0: and so that's usually where i go for (laughs) andrew let me throw a quote at you and see if you can uh, identify who said it you ready oh man putting me on the spot putting you on the spot okay so here it goes the children now love luxury they have bad manners contempt for authority they show disrespect for elders and love chatter in place of exercise children are now tyrants not the servants of their households they no longer rise when elders enter the room they contradict their parents chatter before company gobble up dainties at the table cross their legs and tyrannize their teachers who said it oh i've heard it too (laughs) i don't know Time's up. Time's up. It it was Socrates. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say, I know it's like (laughs) a long time ago. A long time ago. Right. And so, um, you know, and I I say that in jest that, you know, sometimes we can attribute some of these things to, you know, whatever generation, you know, and I'm, I'm Gen X, right. And so, and right now, you know, you see the gen c and the millennials kind of really taking it to the boomers and whatnot but you know so, some of these things have been you know oh, they've been around forever. throughout the ages right and yeah it's, they've been around forever they've <laughs> been around forever so i always like to you know throw that one out there when we're talking about you know one specific generation or or, or the next around that but uh, right well and, and i i think i think what's changed a little bit again for the
1: parenting though for me that i've seen with like the younger parents is just again they they've had everything they've wanted at their fingertips Mm -hmm, yes, in in such a different way. Mm -hmm. So I'm not trying to throw, like I'm a millennial, I'm not trying to throw us under the bus, but I I think again, like everything else is sped up, but not parenting and relationships, you know? And and so I think that's where I see some of the, the generational difference of, well, if it's not working or whatever, I'm just going to throw it away. Right.
0: Like, yeah, I, I if, if, oh, if, if i can't make it in the microwave in less than three minutes then <laughs> right it, i don't have any room for it right and right that's, that's not how you cultivate a relationship between parent and child right <laughs> and, and
1: and that's where I'm at. i i knew that quote i was like oh i was like i know what he's doing <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah and and you know, relationships are those things, and again, we're we're, we're experiencing it right now, right? When we're, mm-hmm. when we're stuck in our homes and we can't go anywhere, um, we're we're really reaping the, the fruits of how much we've invested in the relationships between our partners and our spouses and mm-hmm. whoever's whoever's you know. But it takes time, and it takes effort, and it's messy, and yep. it's all those things, and. You just can't speed it up. You can't pop it in the microwave for three minutes and, and nope. have something and, that you're going to value. <laughs> and that and that's what I think has
1: been the biggest change of what I've seen. Like when I've worked with older parents to newer parents is mm-hmm. just that, well, it should just happen. Yeah, it, it doesn't like you have to put that time. You have to put that work in.
0: Have you ever seen Gary V kind of talk about this subject?
1: I have. Is he the one that talked about like our education? model is completely
0: out of date and well he does he talks about a lot of different things but he 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 will um it's kind of funny uh he talks about how um you know we we bag on the current generation's kind of dependence on electronics and we we talk about how it's you know so you know, pop culture, antisocial to be on your phone all the time Mm -hmm. and and how we used to go outside and play and kids never (laughs) do that. Right. And when Gary said this, I was like, it was cause he's my age. Right. And so it was so speaking to me, he's like, when you were bored and you went outside, you didn't play with your friends. you Knocked a ball that was attached to a rope around the pole. <laughs> yeah, another ball. <laughs> right? So right. when your friends weren't home, you sat on their porch and waited for hours for them to get home. And I was like, <laughs> I so did that, you know. Yeah. And, uh, um, and he talked about, uh, you know, technology in, in the smartphone it isn't the problem. It, it actually exposes the problem, right? right. That, that yeah. if, if your level in of investment in your, in your children can't compete with the smartphone. Well, that's not the smartphone's fault, right? Right. I mean, anyway, I'll sell them. No, silver.
1: I, I, no, I, I think you're honest on, I think it's kind of what we talked about earlier. You know, you can take that victim mentality. Like it's the, the cell phone or whatever. No, you know, it's, I like that, that it's exposed the problem because mm-hmm we can't get rid of technology, right? You know, it is part of our world. You know, I I do agree. You can't hide kids from it. They're going to need to know how to use it, Mm -hmm. but it's when you use it as an excuse or it becomes a barrier to the connection you need to have with your partner or your kids, or you're just on it all the time. You can even neglect yourself with it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And so... You know, I don't think you have to run from technology. I think that's the wrong perspective. That's just going the other direction. Right. It's It's just how how are we going to moderate it?
0: Absolutely. And and understand the pros and cons about it too. Right. And for sure. I mean, I had this reality, my youngest is 12 and he's never not known a world without a (laughs) touchscreen. Right. Right. I mean, and so... I mean, these things are just going to be so second nature for them. And I remember it was probably 10 years ago now, but I remember being around the, the lunch table at work and uh, this conversation about, you know, online gaming and, you know, the Xbox is rolling through and, you know, and I remember somebody sitting there saying, um, I just can't believe people spend so much time playing games like that. It's, it's such a waste of time. They need to be out, you know, outside playing and reading books. And I kind of looked at her and I said, well, if I ever have to have surgery, I really want a surgeon that was a gamer for most of his or her life. <laughs> right. And she kind of looked at me and said, I never thought of it like that. Right? <laughs> they can lock in, they right? can focus, and they can go. And, those con- and the controls, I mean, so much, a mm-hmm. lot of surgeries are going to, you know, those, those, you know, remote control type and joystick type yep. uh, um, applications for how they actually perform the, the procedure and whatnot. So there's pros and cons, right? I mean, Oh, for uh, sure. And I'll get snarky and say they said the same thing about the book, Right, <laughs> they said the same thing about right. the, the radio. Right, they said the same thing about the television. TV, <laughs> you, know? you know. Um, it so it, like you said, it, it's it's there's pros and cons associated with it, and as long as we understand what the cons are and we can help compensate and buffer for that, I th- you know, I think that's probably the better approach as as opposed to saying you know demonizing the technology and saying right, oh, don't go for it anymore. Yeah, right. it, it's just unrealistic. You know the
1: the kids are growing up in a world of technology. Part of life skills now requires you to know how to use technology. Right. So absolutely.
0: Well, Andrew um, we're kind of getting towards the end of our time. And so um, just a couple more things for you. And one of those is, you know, you're a coach, you work with uh, couples and individuals and, and people with kids. If I was struggling in my relationship you know with my partner and I had children and somehow I found my way to be connected to you kind of can you give me an overview of of if there is kind of a structure or kind of a um a consistent you know approach what what would i be in for if i was going to work with you and hire you as a coach right um so some of that is what what i'm going to do is
1: we'll in today's world where we need technology, right? We're going to video conference, <laughs> you know, especially for social distancing. Mm-hmm. Perfect. You know, we're, we're we'll have a, a call where we'll kind of talk and I'm, I'm going to see, I, I want, I want the person to feel like they can work with me, that we fit, you know, kind of thing. Cause if it works for me and it doesn't work for them, that's pointless, right? It's not going to, you know, it's not going to do anything, but I also want to start asking questions. Cause yeah, maybe you approached me for parenting, but as we talk, you start recognizing, you know what, maybe the trouble is actually with my partner, our relationship, mm-hmm. or maybe it's something inside, mm-hmm. like maybe there's something, you know, so I'm going to help you kind of figure out, is it parenting that you need right now? Or is it something else? Mm-hmm. And, and so we're, we're just going to talk about that a little bit and then I'll, I'll start kind of offering things for, um, individual stuff. I'm just getting ready to launch a a new program. I'm pretty excited about it. It's going to be called your personal revolution and and it's going to really focus heavily on that relationship with yourself. It's, it's going to be about 10 to 12 weeks. Haven't locked that in completely yet, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. still in the, uh, the beta phases as they call it, you know, but it's really going to look at building that relationship with yourself, what's my mindset? How am I thinking? What are my strengths? What excuses am I making? Or, you know, things like that. Like it, it's going to be intense. You got to be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm not going to lie. I'm a nice guy. I'm pretty fun. But to me, if you're going to hire me, my job is to help you reach what you're trying to reach. Right. So I'm going to hold you accountable. You know, <laughs> we've already talked about accountability tonight.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: You know, so, control so what you can control. <laughs> exactly um and then if, if couple work is what you're gonna look for i i do like to try to do coaching with both partners present because mm-hmm. it just to me it doesn't make a lot of sense to work on a relationship if only one person's there sure you know that's just my thought mm-hmm. but so i i i call that empowered couples you know empowered couple work and so what that would look like is you know both working together. That one's a little more free flowing right now because I think each couple comes in with just True. such unique needs. Yeah, but I, I do have like when it comes to like communication or uh, conflict style, I have some stuff that if if there's like the need for some tools or stuff, it's there. Like there can be structure, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. And then with the parenting, I've kind of branched off into two different for parenting just because my specialty. And passion—I'll I'll say passion more—is fathers. Mm-hmm. I love to work with dads. I, I started a, a fatherhood program for a Head Start, serving over seven hundred families. Wow. I've, yeah, I've taught parenting or fatherhood classes for two, three years, and I'm just in the process. Hopefully, here in the next few weeks, of submitting a fatherhood book to a publisher. So that would be really cool. So I do have some coaching for dads specifically, or parents. If you're parenting together, you can be on it together like couples, but I also work with parents individually. If it starts coming out relationally, I'm going to start saying, Hey, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we need the other parent in place here too, because if you make a change, what's going to happen is the other one's probably going to resist it. And then nothing really changes. Sure. So,
0: so what I heard loud and clear is if I'm going to come to you with a, you know, on the front uh, front edge as a, um, issue with my child, I ought to be prepared to take a deep look at myself. Yep,
1: because even if I do parenting work with you, I'm still gonna have you looking at yourself. <laughs> you know, because yeah. again, the only person you can control in the equation of a parent and a child is you. Yes, and so I, I, I want you to really get to know. I, I call it empowered parenting because to me, the empowered parent knows who they are, mm. what their strengths are, what their limitations are, and what they're gonna do, what awesome. their plan is. Mm -hmm. And plan B and C and D, you know, Mm -hmm. if necessary. So yeah,
0: yeah. Who they are as a parent and what their strengths and weaknesses are. Exactly. And what their plan is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think those are, those are great areas to focus in on for sure. Andrew, how do people find you?
1: A couple different ways. You can obviously find us on that internet thing, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Technology. Uh, Technology. Mm -hmm. Empoweringthejourney.com. Great. So that's, you know, the direct way to our website. You can also find us on Facebook. You can either find me, Andrew Chris on Facebook. There is a couple that are not me. So (laughs) (laughs) if you find, I believe it's an underwear model. That is not me. That is not the coaching program you're looking for. (laughs) Sorry, but, or, or the other easiest way is to look up the life empowerment organization on, on Facebook.
0: Great. So, Awesome. Uh, all right, Andrew, we're going to wrap this up in the way I wrap up my shows is I ask the people that are on as my guests to give me, give my listeners a awesome mindset upgrade tip, right? And so we've talked a lot about mindset. You've used the word uh, several times in our discussion mm-hmm. this far, um, but it, what is something that you can offer that when folks turn off this episode that they can actually start doing immediately or at least in the same day? <laughs> all right well one
1: of my main tenets is that we already have within us what we need to to have the life that we want and so i I'm, i think i'm gonna leave more of a challenge does that work for you hey whatever it's it's free flowing you know because challenges and challenges i i think my my big thing is we we got to find our strengths we we know that we've got challenges and weaknesses that's fine and we can work on them but if we neglect our strengths we start forgetting about them so what i like to do is challenge people to find you know anywhere from 3 to 10 people that they trust that they really respect and to be vulnerable and ask them what their strengths are like what what makes them unique and who they are And I like to do that for a couple of reasons. One, I want people to hear good things about themselves Mm -hmm. from people that they trust and respect because it's going to mean something to them. But two, I want them to hear what makes them unique about them, Mm -hmm. you know, so that they can think about that. Because again, to me, the, the mindset is related to that relationship with self. One of the quickest things I like to do is focus on is get away from where you lack or fail. And let's look at where you're unique and standing tall. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to challenge your listeners to go out and find three to 10 people that they trust and respect and start asking them. Right. Which is weird because some of us will feel like "Ah, that's, that's like selfish, right? I don't know. anybody. Yeah. I don't know anybody. We do. We, we all know somebody. (laughs) If you can only find two, that's fine. But I'm going to challenge you three, three to 10. It might be a little harder with social distancing right now, but Maybe more than ever, we need that because it'll allow for some connection and stuff too. But I I really want to challenge people to get to know what makes them, them.
0: Awesome. So can I start that challenge right now? Let's do it. All right. So Andrew, you know, what are some of the strengths that you've seen in me in, in the short time that we've known each other?
1: You are one of the most empathetic guys I've ever met. Wow. I just, in the way I've seen you interact with others in the group we're in or the way, like if I've talked to you about situations, you don't go for the solution. You you go straight for that connection. And I genuinely feel like you're there with me. Or even when I read your comments to other people, like you're right there with them. It's not this like, oh, I'm just going to sound good kind of thing. Like you are there with them. mm mm-hmm. And and I, I think that comes across even in text on the screen. Wow.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I took a big stab at it. I didn't know what you're <laughs> going to say, but uh, I, I really, I accept that feedback, Andrew. And I, and uh, it means a lot coming from somebody like you, given the work that you do and, and you know, the, the impact that you're trying to make in this world. So there you go, folks. I started off, you know, I got, one down. I got to do at least two more. <laughs> uh, but I really do really appreciate that. I um, that you know we need to have that vulnerability and connection mm-hmm. to other people, and they are in our in our world around us. and They are in our sphere of influence. And these people want to be connected just as much as we need to be connected. Exactly. Well. And it just takes somebody to, to kick that off. So, Andrew, I, I really appreciate you bringing that challenge uh, to, to me and to this show and to my listeners. And I, I really um, will, you know, reinforce that, that if, if folks that are listening were, were to actually do that, you, you may never know what. The, the feedback that you're going to get. And it may be something exactly. that just kind of blows your hair back in a, in a good way. So,
1: Well, I look forward to following in here in a few
0: weeks or whenever
1: and seeing how your listeners and you are doing with the uh, challenge. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Andrew, thank you so much for uh, being on the show, even in this current stressful environment with COVID and whatnot. Um, this is, was an awesome talk Uh, I really got a lot out of it and I know my whistlers are going to get just as much out of it as well. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. I had a great time in that conversation with Andrew Chris. And just to recap, he is with Life Empowerment Organization. And I'm going to tell you how to connect with him. So do you ever find the need? So he's all over social media. He's got a Pinterest page, Life Empowerment Organization on Pinterest. On Twitter, you can find him at the L E O Journey on Twitter. Uh, his website is empoweringthejourney.com, and he's also on uh, Facebook as well. And, uh, you know, Andrew's got a lot of things going on, but one of the things he's doing is, is coaching parents to be better parents and better people and better partners. And I just can't think of a better thing for somebody to do, given, you know, what I've experienced and what I've seen in my career in Youth Corrections, uh, there just can't be enough help out there for parents. So my hat's off to Andrew Chris in the Life Empowerment Organization. And if you heard something in this talk that I had with him that uh, sparked something in you, and maybe you want to reach out to him, I would encourage you to do so. You never know how he might be able to take you to the next level. All right, so that was episode nine of The Upgraded Life. And just a big thank you to all of you that tuned in and that are enjoying this podcast. And if you are enjoying the podcast, do me a big favor. Go find a place where you can leave me a review. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, then you can leave me a five-star review there. And that really kind of helps provide some wind in my sails as I push forward to make new episodes. All right, we'll see you on another episode. This is Nick Sotelo with The Equated Life signing off.